time to talk about the birds and the bees, from the flowers to the trees on the Wild Edible World podcast. I am just one of your dynamic duo, and my name is Michael. And I would be the other half. This is Steve. We have another special treat for you this <laughs> week. Uh, th- this week, we're, we're going to throw a shout out to the homies. And of course, by that, I mean uh, the pollinators in our world uh, with spring right around the corner, hopefully crossing my fingers, crossing my toes. Mm. Uh, Right around the corner. Mm, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we wanted to to talk about uh, pollinators a little bit. Um, maybe some of the lesser known variety. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna talk about. I mean, I think some of the stuff that we all know, but um, I think we might be able to put throw out some ideas on how to improve your local pollinator statuses. And uh, also in the second half, we're gonna have a really cool conversation with our friend of the pod, Evan Davis, who is a published research scientist about bats. Worked on them down in Panama, uh, mm-hmm. mostly fruit-eating bats, but she still has a lot of cool stuff to say about uh, how they operate as pollinators. And, you know, we just try to redeem their their uh, st- stigmatized, you know, ambiance, yeah, their, their vibe. Their demeanor, their persona, their... Yeah. their those crazy guys, those bats, <laughs> they're, they're wonderful pollinators, and, and that's kind of what we wanted to focus on. So mm-hmm. everybody knows honeybees, right? Mm-hmm. Bumblebees, those little cute little... Who doesn't fluffy, love honey? Fluffy, you know? chonky boys flying around. Oh, yeah. Oops, bonk. Yeah. Oops, excuse me, bonk. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but we wanted to talk a little bit more. I mean, obviously bees, freaking awesome yeah bees are awesome they have their places and the number of bees that operate as pollinators um it's not just the typical like three standard bees i mean that you just listed off even you yeah. know there's um there's carpenter there's tons of solitary species there's of bees so that don't thousands. build hives yeah. um but actually kind of like build their own homes or just kind of sleep underneath leaves or like inside of flowers overnight and stuff it's like the cute cutest as heck. Thi- yeah the cutest so things cute. you can imagine yeah. but um also, like wasps, you know, yeah. um, there's there's wasps out there that do lots of pollinating while they're also like injecting other wasps with wasps, and it's like <laughs> wasps all the way down. It's like wasp inception. It is. It's <laughs> terrifying. Down, like Seriously that. terrifying. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of people that, uh, or a lot of creatures, yeah, that play a role in pollination, humans included, when yeah, we're just definitely. walking around. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, we wanted to start off with like like bees. So we, we were already kind of talking about that. Honey yeah. bees, they're pretty typical. Um, I think what people think of like a functional pollinator. So not only are you getting your trees or your other your fruits and your vegetables plant, uh, pollinated, but they're bringing that stuff home and creating delicious honey out of it. There's a problem though. Dun, dun, dun. They're a non-native species. It's true. They're actually consuming a lot of these uh, pollen and energy and food that could be uh, more well-devoted to native species. You know, honeybees are, you know, they're not the biggest evil on the earth or whatever, you know, and I'm not going to even tell anybody to not get a hive and make your own honey. Please do. Seriously, do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But just know that there are other options that you should be supplementing um, your area with to kind of compensate for the semi, uh, I wouldn't say invasive species, but they're definitely non-native. Yeah, I, I would say that's it's more of like a, like it falls in like a dandelion type niche, you know, hmm. where it's like... Naturalized? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, That's true. That's uh, true. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's why dandelions were originally 
brought over were to supplement the honeybee population because it's an early oh yeah bloomer. It's, yeah it's, uh, it was a food crop i yeah, mean it was exactly, it was yeah. again a multifunctional settler uh food crop sure. so like um, multiple multiple different blooms per season yeah per, it, 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 I've, honestly it feels like per week um <laughs> but it, like yeah. uh yeah i mean that's so bees doing good things Honey's obviously delicious. There are thousands and thousands of varieties of bees, like like you said earlier. There's um, uh, bees that are you know tiny as a pinhead. There are bees that are uh, big and goofy looking. Mm-hmm. There's some that are kind of scary, um, but mm-hmm. but they all serve a purpose. Um, and uh, fun fact about bees: they actually evolved from wasps. What? Yeah. I mean it. They did. Uh, so wha- that that's that's. I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into that. But you can research it. Wasps are also very good pollinators because uh, you know I'm sure they like a little sweet snack from now and then, and uh, you know travel into different flowers. And I'm still blown thing. away by the wasp. <laughs> no, I can tell you got that look on your I face. C- like, what? I didn't know that it was yeah. wasps all the way down from bees yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape them. <laughs> My God. That's really cool, yeah. but yeah, they definitely they have they play their own role as much as as much as we want to um, make wasps out to be kind of the villain of the insect world. Um, they, they're just out there doing their thing, man. And some of them are kind of little shits, but there are a lot of other uh, very beneficial uh, parasitic wasps. That mm-hmm. uh, I mean, as as a gardener, the that tomato horned worm, mm-hmm. um, which you know of course turns into a beautiful uh, butterfly, but like. Uh, it does a lot of damage as well. So, like, there yep. are wa- those all those gnarly pictures you see of uh, a caterpillar, green caterpillar, with a bunch of like eggs. It's, it's got out like of its, it's got like white spines yeah, sticking exactly. out of it, and I was like, "Wow, what a weird looking caterpillar!" And then I realized that it was all larvae growing out of its back. Yeah, and it's like ooh, and that's how the wasp <laughs> does its thing. You know, goosebumps, man. It still makes yeah. me feel uneasy. But it's it is the cir- beautiful circle of life, right? Yeah. So we got bees, we got wasps, flies. Are they annoying? Yes. Do they pollinate? Absolutely. Flies, yeah. flies, they're like silly little flying, like drunk people, you know? <laughs> they just, they, they can't fly very well, so they're landing constantly. I don't know um, how you can see with those eyes, man. Yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> tell us, Jeff Goldblum, tell us. <laughs> how you, d- how, how, how you do it. Um, but yeah, no, one of my favorite little facts about what plants, po- or what flies pollinate is uh, wild ginger. So one of, uh, you know, for one of, a lot of foragers' favorite spices or like pot herbs um, that taste a lot like ginger. It has this really small jug flower that grows like on the ground, and it's thought it's been researched and uh, noted that flies will hide in there during rain, as well as like being pollinated by ants. Who wouldn't? But who wouldn't hide in that little? If, if, if you there was could one, fit, yeah, I would. Do, I would totally do. I it. would do it every day. Yeah. Go out there for my lunch, eat a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Just it smell like little smells like vomit in there, but oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of, uh, and I think uh, we might talk about this with Evan. That uh, there's a lot of stuff that, or no, no wait, because well, yeah, because there was uh, you know, as far as like scent is concerned and how animals operate on that. So flies will really pollinate some like stinky smelling stuff. They're attracted to that, and those plants have developed those chemicals to bring flies there. Yeah. So a lot of these, uh, so Bradford pear, 
Uh, as much as we don't like it. Sons of bees. It has developed this scent, and it's really popular with flies. It's pollinated by flies. Um, so what else? I guess we named a couple pollinators there. We got ants. Ants are a pretty underrated pollinator for a lot of things that grow really low to the ground, even in trees or a lot of your flowers, uh, rose bushes. Or what's the... Uh, a peonies? I'm pretty sure peonies have to, they have a specific interaction with ants where they ants, you're, you're going to have, be growing your peonies and then a lot of first time growers, what? No, go ahead. Okay. A lot of first time <laughs> growers will like be taking pictures of their peonies and be like, what the hell are these ants all over my flowers? And then everybody's like, no, 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 no. This is how it goes. They're actually like, uh, farming the flower and like working with it, interact or interchangeably or whatever. And it, you know. They're beneficial. I was gonna say that same thing. Like I've, I've now that you mention it, I've definitely seen ants all over peonies. Mm -hmm. That's fucking fascinating. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's a partnership. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, you don't want to prevent them. That's that's actually it's part of the yeah part of the dealio. Um, but you're gonna find them on roses. I find them on trees. I find them all over the place. So I think I like ants. I like ants too. Um, sugar ants are a real pain in my booty. But I think uh, just the number of ants, if they ever decided that humans were yummy, uh, the number of ants and ant colonies and how big in their populations on the planet, uh, we're done for. I think that the biomass of humans yeah. and the biomass of ants, ants is almost like half. That's a lot of effing ants. It's a lot know? of ants. I and with their like strength, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't, they're ten times like, stronger. Everything, yeah, everything <laughs> combined. I think they'd be able to take us out. Yeah. If it were a, if it were a fist fight, if they could get the other pollinators <laughs> in on the yeah, side. I could win a fist fight against an ant. Sure. <laughs> Remember asking everyone was asking that shit about bears and like geese. And, yeah, ants for sure. I could fight an ant. Um, so what other? We got butterflies, pretty typical sure. pollinator that people yeah. are aware of. Um, so. Just uh, birds. Birds. Yeah. Yep. Definitely, birds are in there. Sometimes it's um, just kind of happenstance, but uh, or, but and not even a lot of cacti develop specific uh, relationships with birds mm -hmm. um, because they d eat the nectar. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of fruit also spread by Absolutely. birds. I'm sure everybody knows that during mulberry season, mulberry <laughs> poop oh, everywhere. Yeah. Definitely. But, um, outside of what? What? You, anything else? I mean, just the 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 one we're about to talk about, the last guy there, and of course bats. Bats. What the heck? Yeah, I never thought about it, but in my research for this episode, it's it's staggering. So, um, a big problem in Africa is deforestation. You know, sure. and ninety eight percent of the initial reseeding for those deforested areas are bats 98 percent of wow. the initial reseeding because they're so they're so like prolific as far as they're um it's it's, it's wild there's actually certain like fruit there's something that uh, I, don't, I don't recall the name off the top of my head but it almost resembles like a coconut but it's almost like a coconut and a uh brazil nut okay you know so it's it's filled with these smaller nuts that are covered in uh, flesh mm -hmm. and or fruit rather um, and this this when this thing is ripe it pops open just a touch Sp and this one variety of bat can pry it open the rest of the way it's almost like a little hatch that pops open and the bat uh, 
gets that fruit, eats the fruit, disperses the seed. So isn't that, isn't that freaking nuts? It's like a staggering thing. How helpful. Yeah, I feel like Bravo. a lot of nature is developed like that, where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is o- this fruit was almost made for that bat, sure. and they get an exchange. Y- okay, you help me finish. You help me save the energy from breaking open this fruit and releasing the seed. Sure. You get the fruit. You drop my seed. Bada bing, bada boom. Everybody's happy. Uh, I love the kind of like equivalent exchange in uh, nature that happens a lot. Bats are an extremely underrated um, pollinator. Um, yeah, we'll talk to Evan about that for sure. We have tons of species up in North America where we live. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, I think, globally distributed, except yeah. for in the you know, except yeah. for a couple <laughs> countries and <laughs> continent, and like obviously not in the North Pole, not in Antarctica, no. but they are everywhere. There's uh, we won't. Uh, th- there's thousands of bats. Different yeah. kinds of bats, and uh, yeah, we're just kind of underrated. So let's talk a little bit about what we can do to support pollinators in your area, sure. especially bats. So um, I I wish we had remembered to bring this up with Evan, but um, for bats specifically, you can um, install bat hotels. So you want to make sure, uh, there are a few notes that I remember about that, and you want to make sure you don't put them in a tree because they're already good at finding um, shelter in trees. So you want to kind of put it in a more open area where it's a little bit more, uh, I guess, just kind of isolated because the point is to provide more housing. And if you're putting in a tree, you're actually just kind of, it, it's, it's, you're not adding anything. You're not really helping. There's a specific, I think there's a specific side of the house you're supposed to put it on, too. Yeah, I think, I, I, don't, remember if it's, I don't remember if it's north or south, but like under. It has something to do with if, the if sun in the winter. Yeah, something that's like, I think it's above 14 feet tall and like under mm-hmm. eaves, preferably. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have one that I unfortunately can't use. I might put it up on a, on a pole or something mm-hmm. because my, my house is, it's sloped on all, all four sides. So I have one that my friend Carol, hi, Carol. Um, bought for me a couple years ago and it's just been in my garage but i need to do something with it because uh bats not only do they pollinate but they're also great um great at uh pest control whatnot yep absolutely um, um so <laughs> another few uh, i think another little thing i think that really helps with pollinators specifically maybe um caterpillars butterflies uh leave your leaves don't uh-huh. rake your leaves there's a lot of um uh, metamorph uh you know metamorphosis happening there's kind of interstages there's a lot of dormancy happening underneath the leaves and you know uh, this planet has gone its whole life with the leaves dropping and staying there and so life has adapted for that cover yeah and breaking down and And breaking down fertilizing your lawn absolutely or just uh, yeah just the ground and whenever we have a lawn and we've sure you know we've got these societal expectations to have a green flat space with no leaves, even in the middle of fall or at the beginning of s- before warm weather in spring. Um, just don't be in a rush to clear that stuff because it is really important for a lot of these insects. And whenever you remove that cover, there's a lot more predata- predation that happens. There's a lot more um, just general cold death that will happen. Mm-hmm. And, I think we all notice less butterflies, less monarchs, less fireflies. Fireflies are hugely important. They, 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 those fireflies 100% rely on leaf cover over the winter Absolutely. in order to survive. And so 
I remember as a kid, fireflies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, no fireflies. It's yeah. because we've been grooming all of our lawns for 20 freaking years. There's no more firefly larva, and, uh, you know, it shows. So that's one little thing I think all of us can, you know, maybe lean on the lazy excuse a little bit, be happy about that. You don't have to rake your leaves. Please stop raking your leaves. Do it for the fireflies. Do it for the bumblebees, those big lovable lunks. They they uh, overwinter in leaf piles and brush piles, so I always make sure to leave a section of my yard uh, unkempt, uh, like especially yeah, <laughs> yeah, for this reason. Yep. Um, so I, I think another way we can benefit local native pollinator wildlife is, uh, and this is a pretty obvious one, planting local native local plants. Native plants. Absolutely. Wildflowers, plants, perennials, um, and making sure that uh, we're having, we're dedicating, uh, you know, even just like a little bit, if you have a home, if you have a lawn, dedicate a little corner. If you feel comfortable dedicating the whole yard, that's even better. But even just a few square feet really can play host. If you have if you have enough important plants and it can really play host to um, 50, 50 to 100 different species of insects. And in that, you're sustaining, you know, two, three times that in the larger scale with the other uh, birds, foxes, et cetera, in your, in your local area. So yeah, you can hit up your park districts to see uh, lo- uh, native plant sales where, uh, you know, people are super nice. And I, I always mm-hmm. go to mine every year and uh, try to pick up um, a few items. But, yeah, you can definitely look there. What, what else? Um, there's always, uh, I think we talked about this in one of our first episodes. I think it was in the community episode where we try to explain a little bit about how, um, there's lots of opportunities in your libraries, um, county or city hall, um, newsletters that'll send out and like, let you know, like different events are going on, especially in the springtime. There's lots of seed sharing activities, online groups, um, to trade seeds and to educate yourself a little bit more about what native plants are right for your area. But also your local nursery, I think, your garden store. Um, Sometimes that can be a little bit of hit and miss, but I think people really care about um, trying to find the right thing. And usually those people are on the right path. So um, those are some good places to start as far as planting local native stuff in your area. And uh, as far as like hummingbirds, um, we didn't really talk about that much, but it's something I think about a lot um, whenever you're using hummingbird food. Mm, really yeah. make your own. It's the easiest thing in the world to try to use like healthier sugars and clean water as opposed to using pre-mixed hummingbird food with a uh, dye in it that's yeah. dyed red. Um, they don't care about what color the liquid is. And also make sure to clean and sanitize your hummingbird feeders because... Uh, mold and bacteria in those can affect the hummingbirds? Yeah, 100%. It's sugary water in there, and it's getting heated up sitting in the sun all day. You know. That's, that's yeah. You're fermenting it. That's Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's asking for bacteria to yeah. get in there. So just try to use the dye-less stuff or make your own. Um, there are signs that that dye is, n- is harmful for the um, hummingbirds. So just, not, just a little stuff that we as consumers can do. I think... We can also take a moment to acknowledge that we are just people and that there are forces larger than us at play that are way more destructive and way more impactful and harmful on our environment than we could ever hope to be as individuals. And that's the same thing goes for 
um, the solution. Um, we can do the little steps around us, um, but unfortunately, it's, the solution isn't going to come from not using a straw. It's not going to come from planting a few flowers. It's going to come from large-scale industrial change. Um, but I think conversations that we're having right now about pollinators and just little things that we can do ourselves are important steps nonetheless to move towards those bigger conversations. Yeah, nothing changes if nothing changes. Exactly. And at least you can do your part. Yeah. And we're as long can. as we're, if we all start thinking about it a little bit more, then the psyche, the human psyche in as a whole just kind of starts to flow that way. So I am happy to have you here to talk about it. I'm happy yeah. to talk to Evan about this. And uh, we're happy to have you guys here listening and talking with each other about it as well. And the anticipation is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a break and then uh, we'll get to our second half where we have a lovely chat with Evan Davis. And uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you after the break. Bye. Oh, hey, Steve. Oh, hey, Mike. Well, what's wrong, buddy? Well, I, I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World Podcast Merch Store. Wowie wow! It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch for all your decorating purposes. How do I find that? Go to wildedibleworldpod.shopify.com or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow! And we're back on the second half of the Wild Edible World podcast, and uh, this is the special kind of pollinator episode, and we have a really cool guest on with us today. And uh, Such a cool guest. Yeah, that's Evan Davis, um, somebody that we both know. Um, she, I work with her at one of my other jobs. She's done work for the Lincoln Park Zoo. She was a research intern at the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, where she did lots of research about bats. She's published in a paper about bats. So we thought we'd talk to her about, uh, you know, just kind of how bats are an unconventional pollinator or, yeah, just how they fit in this role in this episode. So thanks for joining us today, Evan. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so let's get batty. Yeah, right? let's <laughs> bat, let's bat get it out. batty. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I think that this is a perfect opportunity to bring in bats because, uh, I mean, the, the our whole focus with this episode was to put a highlight on those lesser known because uh, those lesser known uh, pollinators, because most people think, you know, it's it's bumblebees, honeybees, you know, hu probably both of those honeybees, bumblebees that are that are pollinating. But there are some creatures that just don't get don't get the credit, the flies and the butterflies and the wasps and the bats ants bats and yeah the bats so uh tell us uh tell us about you and bats Aaron, evan yeah 
Um, so a quick background about me studying bats. Uh, first time I went down to Panama was in 2018, and I got a uh, meet Rachel Page, who is a uh, primary investigator at the Rachel Page Lab, which primarily studies bats. And then in 2019, during the fall, I went down and I studied fruit-eating bats, which are one of the two major groups of bats that pollinate different species. Um, a lot of people, I think, give bats kind of a bad rep. Uh, I think they're one of the most awesome yet underrated animals. They're super cool. Uh, they take the night shift, as many people know. They come <laughs> if you, you know, sitting out in your yard at night and you see little bats flying around, you think, oh, those bats are out eating, um, eating insects, which is true. There are a bunch of species of bats around us that eat insects, but they also play a major role in pollinating crops and spreading seeds. Uh, fun fact for all you margarita drinkers out there, the number one plant species that bats pollinate is actually agave. Whoa. You're kidding me. So those like, because uh, whenever the agave flowers, doesn't it reach up like 12 feet tall or something? Yeah, and bats, bats love the, the agave nectar or do much they... like we do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, bats... I mean, I I think that's a that's a really good point because the the plant world and the bat world kind of work uh, in tandem. I was I was uh, doing a little bit of research before this, and there are actually plants that like turn their leaves up to act as reflectors to like guide the bats to them. Not like light reflectors, yeah, but yeah, yeah. sound reflectors. No, no, light. Really light? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I mean, Aaron, or uh, Evan, please correct me. I'm going to do that all episode. I have no <laughs> idea why. Uh, That's please, okay. Please, my please, sister's name. <laughs> please uh, correct me, but uh, the the whole poor eyesight is, is a bit of a myth, isn't it? Don't bats generally see relatively well? It's just that the uh, echolocation or the sonar, whatever you want to call it, is like an added feature, just like a plus. Yeah, so a bunch of people, you know, say I have eyes like a bat because they don't have good eyesight, but actually bats can see pretty well. Um, they see really well at night, but during the day, it's way too bright for them out. That's one of the reasons why they uh, sleep during the day. And um, their echolocation, there's two different ways that bats can echolocate. Some of them echolocate through their mouths, so kind of like screaming. And then some of them echolocate through their nose. A lot of the uh, fruit-eating bats and the nectar-eating bats, they'll echolocate through their nose. Um, I can send you some pictures of the ones that I worked with. They have these, like, crazy, they almost look like um, leaves, so they call them leaf nose bats. Um, they're really big, so they use those to, like, direct their echolocation um, while they're flying with stuff in their mouths. <laughs> they'll be doing it with their mouths full? That's awesome. Yeah, I have, like they'll be fine with figs, dates, you know, really big fruit in their mouth, and they'll be essentially, I guess, screaming through their nose to figure out where they're going. I do that sometimes, personally. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, the, and, and their their echolocation's like very sensitive. Like like they would be able to tell the difference between like the texture of my palm, which is a soft surface, and the uh, like the desk that we're sitting at, which is a hard surface. Yes, that is correct. 
That's wow. so cool. That Fascinating. Is, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that it was. Well, first of all, I was under the impression that they had bad eyesight as well. Blind as so a bat. That's that's really fascinating to hear. Um, so I'm sure there's like really specific uh, plant relationships and associations that bats have um, where the do you, do you know of uh, off? I mean, off the top of your head, <laughs> these like tropical plants that have these specific relationships and nobody else pollinates them, just the bats. I can't say that nobody else would pollinate them, but I know um, like bananas and figs are like two of their favorite, I guess, fruits is what you could uh, say, favorite foods. Um, they, the fig tree specifically, they, their leaves sometimes turn down and are good for like bats to go up and roost in. Okay. So they're like little tents, they make little tents out of the leaves. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah, bats are really cute. I think people people don't understand how adorable these little guys are. Especially when you consider just the range of bats. There's something in the neighborhood of like upwards of fourteen thousand varieties. Is that is that right? Something something like I, that. I I believe so. I I thought it was closer to. Let me just double check that. Um. While while we're thinking, I was curious if like there's fourteen hundred. Oh, fourteen hundred. Oh, so it's fourteen thousand sounded like a lot. Fourteen hundred. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. There's zeros. There's a lot of them. Not even close. I was just. No, that's it's literally like (laughs) ten times as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But still a ton. Fourteen hundred plus is a is is a is a lot. A lot of different kinds of bats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I imagine yeah. like when when we're thinking pollinator bats, that's usually going to be like the nectar consuming ones because they're the ones interacting with the flowers uh, to get the nectar, and thus like there's I'm sure there's mechanics involved where it's like getting f- uh, pollen all over their flowers or their fur, right? Like it's the nectar yeah. ones, right? I would assume exactly. Yeah. So they're yeah. Um, one of the main species that we have here in the U.S. is the Mexican long-nosed bats. Uh, they fly deep down into uh, cactus flowers, and they'll get themselves all full of pollen while they're drinking the nectar from the cactus flower. And then when they're moving around, they'll spread the pollen as well as like bring it to the next plant. That's really awesome. Long, long, long-nosed Mexican bat. Yeah, yeah, Mexican long-nosed bat. Um, one of the more uh, well-known species. Uh, when people think of like the bridge in Austin is the Mexican free-tailed bat. Those are much smaller, uh, but those mainly eat insects. Oh, okay. And so that's why they're under yeah. the bridge is because there's a lot of, uh, oh, well, I mean, they're under the bridge because it's safe. It's safe and there's a, they're right over all that water. So there's a lot of good insect areas for them to go you know, peruse. Awesome. Um, let's see. And then also, uh, there's there's just like a like obviously if there's fourteen hundred types of something that they they come in a like size spectrum. So uh, bats can be like pretty large. Uh, oh yeah, I've I've seen pictures of the fox bat in uh, like fox, the African yeah. fox bat or something like that, and it's yeah, <laughs> it looks like a flying fox. Like it's huge. It's got long red fur. Um, and those get up to like three feet or something like that, like or two two and a half feet. I think like the wingspan wingspan well, can get wingspan up to is get like up to four. six. Oh yeah, yeah. they're huge. 
and then you have little yeah, guys. Those are huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the smallest one that I ever um, captured when I was in Panama um, was I think they call it the mouse bat. It was like you know maybe two inches long. Like it was a very very tiny guy. That's so uh, typically, the ones that I would work with are maybe like baseball size. Like I got small hands, so I say the size of my fist, but. Yeah, probably about baseball size. Um, and those were the Jamaican fruit eating bats. So they snacked on bananas mainly. Um, but yeah, uh, the bats around the US, the ones that uh, do the pollination, since um, some crops only open their flowers at night, like mangoes and peaches, they like to feed on those flowers for the nectar and then help to pollinate those uh, trees. That's wild. Man. I did not even know that the flowers opened up on at night on those plants. So that's... yeah, I, I definitely didn't either. And I have a peach tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know. Now you know who's uh, helping you get some peaches at night. Yeah. No kidding. And I thought, yeah, I thought they were like, um, well, I'm sure it's multiple species pollinating like oh, peaches sure. and yeah, that it's bugs and uh, insects rather and bats. Um, if you, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit, like if you have like a kind of a short synopsis on the type of research you guys were doing down in Panama, and also if you want to plug the title of your research paper, if that's available for people to read, or do you have to send them a PDF? Um, I believe it's free. I mean, I have it pulled up in front of me, but I don't remember if it's because I already purchased it. Um, if not, <laughs> I can find the best way to get it out to everybody. Um, it's on PubMed. It's the title is Flying Bats Use Serial Sampling to Locate Odor, odor, odor Sources. Odor Sources. Okay. So, oh, yeah. So, what, what does that mean? So, um, we were looking at the behavior of Jamaican fruit eating bats to see how their sense of smell affects the way that they choose food. So, um, the best way to describe it in, you know, layman's terms, I guess, is we train them uh, to find a food source in a new environment. We went out and used mist netting um, to capture them when we brought them in. We got them acclimated to the space. And then um, for the actual experiment, we used uh, sponges to act as banana pieces. And we put uh, different levels of ripeness of bananas out on the um, platforms. So we had, I believe, five different platforms for the bats to choose from. Some of them didn't have anything. Some of them we used unripe plantains. Some of them we used rotten bananas. And the bats would go around and do like an inspection flight. So they would fly around, they would smell the different odors, and then they'd go back and choose which one that they decided was the best. So they don't just scream out their noses. They actually <laughs> use them like a nose, too? Yes. Wow. Man, what, what, what talent. <laughs> what was, what was uh, your favorite out of the five stages of ripeness? Did you like the, you personally, did you like the plantain? <laughs> did you like the rotten banana? What are we, what are we coming from here? Uh, I'm a big fan of slightly browner bananas. I don't love, you know, overly brown besides, like, using it in baking. And... I don't know, this sounds like so weird, but 
Have you ever bitten to a banana and it's like has a slight crunch that like makes me uncomfortable? I hate that. <laughs> so, those those are my favorite. No bananas. plantains. Oh, that's right. You like no. the slightly green. Yeah, yeah, I hate those bananas. That's I'm weird. I don't like that. I want, I want zero green. I want to know what kind of bat you I'll, are. We should create one of those like one like one of those quizzes where you go neutral chaotic, like chaotic yeah, neutral like. like like eat, oh, uh, man. eat peach or get nectar during the day or at night. You know, yeah, like, like determines what kind of bat you, you are. When my munchies <laughs> hit me, whether I'm eating green bananas. Yeah. All right, so we've established that there's oh, yeah. lots of bats. Yep. And they're lots great pollinators and uh, seed dispersers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's maybe try to clear their name a little bit because a lot of people think that bats are just creepy. Yeah. Um, did have did you observe what, while you were in Panama? Did you observe any like social structures or uh, behaviors or anything like that? So um, one of the focuses of one of my friend's research was on vampire bats, which are exactly what you think they are. They are the bats that do drink blood, um, and they have a very interesting social structure. So if a bat is sick another bat will go out and find food for it and it will feed the bat. Uh, They take care of their elderly. They have, um, you know, they help share the care of the younger bats. So I think bats, yeah, they're kind of like people where they, they like to take care of those who are a little bit less than them. They like to take care of those that are sick. And yeah, they just do a really great job of helping out each other. Yeah, that's huge. And also... Fun fact, less than 1% of all bats in the world carry rabies. Yeah, is it like their average body temperature, or is it just like they it doesn't transfer easily it, with them? It's... I, I believe it's something to do with their body temperature, and I believe it's just like not as prevalent in bat species as they are in... I mean, I, I, I believe raccoons are one of the most common... Mm-hmm. Um, carriers yeah so i I believe i've heard that too um that's really awesome that it's breaking the stigma of vampire bats i mean bats also or people also think that bats are like attacking their heads at night when really it's just your your head is creating a column of warm air and there's lots of there's just like a slightly concentrated uh, more concentrated bugs above you sure. and so that's where the bats are going yeah um and they just happen they're they're never going after your head they're just above your head um and vampire exactly. bats um how often do you do you know like how often they even like bite a human if if really ever uh i, I mean if you are observing bats like how we were we were handling bats I only heard of one person getting bit in the, you know, multiple year study that they had. I don't think they go out of their way to bite humans, but obviously if some very large creature is like going to go grab yeah. you, I think I would bite you. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah. Sure. And then vampire bats are in South America pretty exclusively, right? Yeah. I think um, Costa Rica might be one of their like um, highest, um, why is my brain now working? Populations, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's Habitats, okay. <laughs> one of their like highest, yeah, that's that's as close as they would get to um, the U.S. as of right now, at least. But it's, it's a, and I've almost, I've heard that it's almost like our fault that, that they that they drink like the blood of cows. Not, I mean, obviously, no, we're not coaxing them on, but like but, uh, the destruction of rainforests uh, and that for cattle grazing, 
uh, if you had like a, a McDonald's right there, you know, which yeah. is essentially what a cow ca- is, a cow is <laughs> for a blood drinking mammal, you know, you, you would probably do the same thing. So uh, maybe that has something to do with it as well. They're just misunderstood creatures. Right. Totally misunderstood, you know, and I think there's a lot of people among us that are misunderstood too that remind us of bets. Yeah. I can think of a, a few. A lot of us work the night shift. <laughs> a lot of us work at night, myself included. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, those night nighttime nectar flights you go on <laughs> where you scream out your nose. Hey, don't talk about my drinking like that. <laughs> <laughs> we hate flights in the industry. <laughs> Yeah, we don't do flights around these parts. <laughs> the That's biz. a little, little little bar joke for y'all. Yeah. Um, well, cool, Evan. I think that was a really interesting talk. And uh, yeah, um, we'll, uh, do you mind if we give out your Instagram if people want to reach out to you if they have back questions or want to read your paper? Yeah, uh, that actually probably would be the best place to find my paper. In my Instagram bio, it, it has uh, a link directly to it. Okay, so to make sure that I don't mess it up, what is your Instagram tag? Uh, my Instagram handle is Evan Davis. My name is spelled E-V-Y-N-N-D-A-V-I-S. Awesome. Really cool. <clears throat> She's also the manager over at Miskatonic Brewing, where I also pour some beers every now and then. So Shout out to those guys. Shout out to those guys. Go grab a drink sometime, say hi, and talk about our podcast and how much you love us. <laughs> But uh, yeah, about that. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Evan. Um, and we'll we'll talk to you again sometime. Heck yeah! Thanks for having me, y'all. All right, bye bye. I... What's wrong, buddy? Well, I just realized this mushroom supplement I bought isn't actually made with mushrooms. It's made with something called myceliated grain? Myceliated grain? Oh, oh no! I'm sorry to tell you, buddy, but myceliated grain is a sure sign of a poor-quality mushroom supplement. Well, dang. I wanted mushrooms, not brown rice. What should I do? Well, you should support a small-batch producer from right here in the Midwest. Kiwino Apothecary. Kiwino Apothecary? Tell me more. Kiwina Apothecary specializes in high-quality mushroom extracts from Michigan, and they always use real mushrooms, never, never, never myceliated grain. That sounds like exactly what I've been looking for. Where can I order? Well, you can find them at kiwinaapothecary.etsy.com. That's K-E-W-E-E-N-A-W apothecary.etsy.com. Be sure to read their many excellent reviews. Thanks, buddy. I don't want no low-quality mushroom products from a factory. I want Kiwina Apothecary. Wowie, wow!